the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is pre-recorded. Opinions expressed may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Welcome to Life in Colorado. I'm Mark Howington. With me, Dr. Ken Yeager, Ph.D., a leading researcher at Ohio State Neurological Institute. And we're here to talk about suicide prevention. And Dr. Yeager, before we get going. I just want to, first of all, welcome you to the program. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. One of the things that I found out for the National Alliance of Mental Issues is that suicide is the second leading cause of death for age 10 to 34. Now, that 10-year-old uh, number surprised me, I must admit. And we're going to be talking about suicide prevention among children at the second half of our show, but also the second leading cause of death for people aged 35 to 54. Now, 75% of those who die of suicide are males, but more females actually attempt suicide, according to these figures. And as we were talking before we got on air here, you were talking about it truly is an epidemic. So give us some help. Give us some hope in this epidemic. In the United States, approximately every 13 minutes, somebody takes their own life. Um, by suicide. And I think it's important to understand that because in the framework of how long we're going to be talking, there will have been somebody who has ended their life at their own hand. Um, And that's just the person who has lost their life. And this is really an epidemic of family members, of friends who have been, you know, working with individuals over an extended period of time and have still experienced this tragic outcome. One of the things that I have shared as I have hosted this program over the last couple of months is that I've dealt with addictions and fortunately have found recovery in that. But I can tell you, especially when I hit my rock bottom, that there were definitely times I was in that dark place and may have been one of those numbers, uh, one of those statistics. Um, Talk to somebody right now who may be facing a crisis of life or may be facing that dark time. What kind of help is available? There, there are many avenues of help available to people. Um, oftentimes, people find themselves in acute crisis. Um, life is very complicated. Difficult things happen. They may be experiencing a loss. They may be experiencing a legal or a financial ramification. Um, but the, the idea is all of this is ultimately repairable as long as you're still with us. It may not be pleasant, it may not be easy, but we can deal with whatever it is that you're challenged with. That is so true. I can I can tell you that, yeah. you know, at the time when I thought about perhaps taking my own life, at, at the time it just looked so dark, it looked like there was no way out, it looked like there was no hope, there was no help. And I basically talked myself out of committing suicide by saying, I just got to hang on somehow, some way, it's got to get better. And it has. I mean, I can tell you Mm -hmm. my life is so much different. 
But it, it, it takes a while to get from here to there. Now, one of the things that I know that you are doing a lot of is you're, you talk about psychological trauma and crisis intervention, as well as substance abuse being causes and, and factors that can lead up to suicide. Tell me about your research. What, what has it led you to conclude? It is a clear indicator that um, individuals who have experienced trauma and who are experiencing difficulty working through the traumatic life experiences um, fall upon those dark moments. And in the Trauma Recovery Center that um, we run at The Ohio State University, we see individuals not with just one trauma or two trauma, but lifelong histories of serial traumas. Um, everything from child abuse to crime victimization, all the way through their lives. And it's a process of having to get those individuals to be able to look at the traumas and understand how the traumas have impacted them and then to begin working forward with them. I I was talking with a patient not that long ago who said something that astounded me. Um, And the patient said, I'm not worthy of receiving love from anybody. And I just just sat there and, you know, typically I'm not at a loss for words, but in that case, I, I was. And I had to stop and think for a minute to say, you know what? I know that can't be correct, but I also know that that is how you're feeling right now. And let's begin to process through that, which has really been a marvelous journal journey for this person. So let's talk to someone right now who may be in that place. Maybe they're even feeling the same thing. I'm not worthy of love, or I've got life caving in on me. I don't see a way out. I I just I don't I just I don't have hope. How does what's some of the first steps for a person like that? So the the first steps are stop isolating, because the more people are talking to themselves about ending their lives, the more they distance themselves from their support systems. And really, I would encourage you to actually reach out to one person, any one person that you have the courage to reach out to and and tell on yourself. Let them know what's going on with you. And if you can reach out to that one person, let's find a place to begin with that person, no matter what it takes. And we will find a way back from this in time. I can't guarantee people that it's going to be okay. Um, I absolutely cannot and will not do that. But what I will say is there's no reason for you to go through this alone. Yeah, and you're so right. I mean, I I think in my dark times, that's that certainly helped. I I got involved in a support group, a recovery group, and but mm-hmm. however, the you know having been in that dark time, I can tell you personally that that can be. The, one of the hardest first steps, because essentially when you yeah. get in a dark place, you don't even feel the motivation to do anything. You don't you don't want to get out of bed. Right. You don't want to process. You certainly don't want to talk to people. It, it literally uh, becomes, and again, speaking from that personal experience, I can tell you that, yep. you know, if you're considering suicide, you make a lot of plans. I, for example, spent yep. spent many a, a middle of the nights watching YouTube videos on suicide. And and yep. certainly that takes effort, that takes energy, that takes uh, a direction, that takes motivation. And uh, finally, I guess I reached the point where I'm like, you know what, I'm really seriously getting close to suicide, 
there's got to be a different answer. There's got to be a different way. So, you know, as hard as it was to turn, you know, it's the law of inertia, as hard as it was to turn that direction to another direction, a more positive direction, I just decided, hey, if I'm going to put this much energy into looking into suicide, maybe I ought to put that much energy into, as you said, take that first step and just reach out to somebody else. You are so right. I really think that people don't understand that when you're suffering from addiction or severe depression or heightened levels of anxiety, that everything that requires effort is a challenge. And you could be sitting right next to your telephone and your telephone rings, but you don't have the energy to answer it. You don't have the energy to deal with what might be on the other side of that call. And that, that's true of addiction because it, it isolates us from the people that we love the most. We typically tend to hurt the people we love the most. And that is the kind of thing that gets every ounce of energy that you have out of your system. And it really takes courage to muster the energy to be able to make that call for help. We know that through the 12-step support programs that first off, you have to understand and acknowledge that you are powerless and that you have to reach out to something beyond you or outside of yourself to make that difference occur. And that's that's absolutely the first step. And it really does make a difference. Well, we, you know, we're talking about the phone, so let's let's give that National Suicide Prevention Hotline number. It's 1-800, and with cell phones, you don't even have to dial the one these days. So it's 800-273-TALK. That's 8255-800-273-TALK. Dr. Yeager, what would happen? You know, talk talk about the experience of somebody picking up the phone and dialing that number. What would that experience be like? They're going to be greeted by a person who understands the challenges that are being faced. Many of of the volunteers on the lines are people who have lost loved ones, and, and they understand These folks are not going to judge you. They're going to be there to support you, and they're going to be there to help you. And that really, if you call them, it is the first step of beginning the process of getting the help that you need. Again, it's very hard to make that first step, but the people on the other end of that line, they know where you are. They know what you're experiencing. There is this universality that occurs that we all feel like our problems are only our own problems. And there is such a great relief when you hear that other people have experienced exactly the same problems and that there are pathways out of those problems if you're willing to pick up the, the phone and make that call. Yeah, so true. As as I experienced in making that first step myself and got into a, a support group, a recovery group for I celebrate recovery for for my alcohol addictions along with other things that I had. And yeah, coming alongside of other people who were there that were walking through the same same issues. I, I can't tell you so many times when I heard people say, this is how I got out. This is how I got help. This is this is what worked for me. And when I when I saw that somebody else had success, that that really helped mm-hmm. me. Dr. Ken Yeager, we've got just a couple of minutes and I, I, I do want to talk about covid. And of course, mm-hmm. that certainly has turned our world on its head. Um, are you seeing yeah. an increase in stress and people responding to that stress and and maybe uh, the thoughts of suicide come up? So interestingly, not with the thoughts of suicide, but 
um, the Census Bureau is out doing the census. And in years past, they have floated questions about depression and anxiety um, and asked questions about, in the past two weeks, have you felt um, down, unable to communicate, and having problems? So this year, during COVID, and I believe it was June, they did a one-week survey, what they call the Pulse Survey of the United States. And depression and anxiety tend to run around 12% in the population, uh, 12 to 14%, depending upon what the age group is you're looking at. Interestingly enough, this year, out of the CDC Pulse Survey, it has been identified that depression and anxiety is up almost 100%. So we're seeing um, large numbers, as much as 50% of the population, saying, yes, they have experienced depression, they have experienced anxiety. And we really had not had good evidence. We all kind of think that, you know, if there's a time when you could feel uncertain or anxious or depressed, this is probably the time. Now we have the data that says you are not alone. And the state that had the highest level, I think it was 43%, was Mississippi. But if you look across the United States, it's a fairly even distribution of change in responses to levels of depression and anxiety. So, yes, if you're feeling you need help, this is exactly the time to reach out and get that help. Yeah, especially before it gets so dark you don't really feel like doing anything else. And again, that National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800 800- Two seven three talk that's 800-273-8255. Dr. Ken Yeager, thank you so much for being part of Life in Colorado. So it's time to change subjects just a little bit, still talking about suicide, but we want to change our perspective. Joining me now is John, Dr. John Ackerman, and you are a clinical psychologist and suicide prevention coordinator at the Center for Suicide Prevention and Research at Nationwide Children Hospital. First of all, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Well, we've talked about suicide among adults, and I, I quoted this statistic from the National Alliance of Mental Issues that the second leading cause of death in ages 10 to 34 is suicide. Now, that, that number, 10 years old, really caught me by surprise. So I guess we first want to talk about suicide among children. That that Like I say, that number caught me by surprise. Talk to people who maybe that number catches them by surprise, too. Absolutely. One of the things that we do as we work with schools and, and the community is help people understand that um, that young children can have thoughts about um, about suicide, about death, and really be able to take action on it, which is why we need to make sure that people know what the warning signs are and what to look out for. Uh, we know that actually about 6% of nine and 10 year olds from a large national study um, have considered suicide within the past year and actually 1% have attempted to take their life. So we, we need to be in a position for those most vulnerable kids to, to reach out and, and not wait until they uh, try to let the adults in their world know. We, we need to help the kids who are uh, maybe unable to put words to what they're experiencing, um, give them the support that would be most helpful. Yeah, I can remember at, uh, I'm, I'm guessing I was probably about seven years old. Uh, my dad had just left our family. Mom had said that he's not coming back. And I can remember the just the, the depression that I felt at that time. And I remember even at that time, I, I took out a steak knife out of the kitchen cabinet and, and our drawer and thought about, you know, maybe I should just end it. I'm not, 
I felt so unhappy. And you're right. One of the things you just said is, how then do you express the feelings? And I can remember going to a child psychologist, and my favorite part of that is we played checkers. But, but uh, you know, we also talked about some feelings and things that I was going through. So maybe that's a good good step for us to take, especially as parents are listening. What help is available for children who are perhaps feeling like they, they are in this dark place? Yeah, I, I mean, I, first of all, I, thank you for being open about the pain you're experiencing, because I, I, I think a lot of people tend to think that young children uh, can't be in a place where they're in such pain that they consider that um, life may not be worth living. And, and we know that they don't understand the permanence necessarily or that or that the, the pain that they're feeling will go up and down over time. So we, we try to minimize it. Plus, as adults, I think it's so hard for us to think that a young child could be thinking that life isn't worth living. And so we, we either become frustrated or we want to fix it right away or we, we take all these strategies that – that don't actually end up being as helpful as, as some of the ones we know work better. And, and what we know works better is if we take a deep breath, we understand that this um, person's in pain, and we listen with curiosity and empathy and try to understand what it is that's um, driving this, uh, this deep um, distress. And then we eventually make sure we talk to our pediatricians, our local mental health provider, or if there's urgent warning signs such as talking or thinking about death or giving away belongings or finding ways to hurt oneself that we then reach out to our our local crisis options or get emergency department help. So part of it is just staying calm, knowing it's not going to be fixed that moment. And that, uh, that young person, if they hear that you're going to be walking along with, with them and getting them the help they need, that is one of the most uh, relieving things that they can hear. Uh, one other thing I'll mention is that a lot of people think that if you ask about uh, whether a young person is thinking about suicide or whether they've ever thought about killing themselves, that you'll put the idea in their mind. And that is absolutely not true. We know that actually if someone has been considering suicide, that by asking about it, uh, they know that you're willing to talk to them about it. And because it's such a shameful, difficult topic for some people, uh, it, it really helps to have that open discussion and makes all the world for some young people. John Ackerman, Ph.D., clinical psychologist for National Children's Hospital. Talk to parents now who are thinking, you know, how, how in the world do I even find out? You know, could my, could what, my child possibly be in a dark place? How, how would I know? Well, I think instead of thinking that it's not at all possible that our child could be struggling with thoughts of suicide or, or could be feeling depressed, we actually, it's easier sometimes to take the approach that our kids are going to have some ups and downs. They are going to be facing stress and, and being overwhelmed at times. So let's make sure we give them the language and the tools to know how to express that when they need to, but also check in regularly about how they're doing emotionally. Um, don't wait until you see the most alarming signs uh, that they are um, that they are in in a crisis. So check in regularly. Give them the tools to talk about this. Um, how are your feelings? Give them the language behind it. And then if you do see warning signs, like no longer enjoying the things that they care about, uh, sleeping less or eating less or eating too much or sleeping too much, um, giving away belongings and 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 not acting like themselves, then you then you do want to reach out and have that very direct conversation and say. Um, uh, I, I noticed you haven't 
been acting like yourself? Have, have you had any thoughts about ending your life? Have you thought about killing yourself? And you might have to practice that even in front of the mirror a few times because it's really uncomfortable. Um, I've asked that question thousands of times, and I know it can help kids uh, who are in that place, but most parents haven't. So we need to give ourselves some grace. We need to step back and realize this is a tough conversation um, and, and maybe practice it before we're even having that conversation. Um, the last thing I'd say is we also have to be ready to hear the answer yes. Kids are really good at knowing um, what might stress out a parent or what might put burden on them. And what we know is that many kids who are depressed, they already feel like a burden. They don't want to put any more weight on the family. And so they, um, if they know it's not going to be handled well, they'll, they'll withhold that information. So we really want to be open to the idea that this might be a possibility. And if it is, we can get the help that's necessary. There are crisis resources. There are local mental health options, both in person and telehealth. Um, and this could be the step of getting support uh, before we've hit a crisis point or before there's been a suicide attempt. And, and that's, that's a really important thing. Yeah, because when you reach that dark, dark place, it's it, it gets a little more difficult to get out of that. So if you can catch it earlier, perhaps when the when the signs are there and and talk it out, a lot of times that can help. I, I can probably tell you as a child, I I probably would have been relieved if somebody had probably had a conversation with me because I felt like I was carrying all this inside and to to actually you know get it out, I can remember there was a woman who befriended my brother and I, and it was just it was just nice to talk to her and i you know believe it or not, it was just a a a it wasn't even a conversation about suicide, but just being able to have somebody there that I could share with was a great relief so let's let's talk about covid for a bit. A lot of kids now back in school are trying to navigate uh whether or not they're they're doing in person or a hybrid or online. Uh, obviously, that's ramped up some stress, both for kids and parents. So talk about that a little bit and and uh, maybe some some things that people can do to relieve some of that stress and anxiety. Oh, sure. And not only can I talk about it, I can identify with it as I have a first grader on a Zoom <laughs> class right now and a, a fourth grader doing hybrid. It's, it's, uh, it is a lot to juggle for parents. Um, and uh, and there was actually just an article that came out that said, yes, absolutely, our, our, our youth are experiencing more anxiety and more depression, but so are our, our parents and our caregivers. Um, and I think people underestimate that, um, you know, our, how hard our parents are working to try to make things work, to shield the young people from this. Um, and, and we really need to also, in addition to supporting our kids, we need to make sure the adults um, and the teachers and the and everyone involved in this um, in this major change that is just derailed and, and caused so much uncertainty um, that there's a lot going on that that needs to be managed and different people navigate these changes in different ways and so some people are more at risk when there's been major changes and who maybe already were struggling with anxiety and depression. So we want to be able to reach out and make sure that um, we are identifying the types of supports and helping young people develop the coping skills that are going to help them get through these these periods of time. And that we don't need everyone to, to be a superstar right now. <laughs> it, it might be a time where we are navigating uh, and just getting through and grieving the types of things that we used to be able to do that we can't do now. Um, and then recognize that we are doing 
our best right now to get through things and you know maybe excelling isn't our our goal right now uh, and in the future it, it might be um, but we do know that we haven't necessarily seen an increase in the number of youth suicides at this point in time and we won't really have that data for another couple of years but we do know that the risk factors that are associated with suicide like disconnection um, uh, change in activity level um, reduced sort of um, time with um, mentors, teachers, friends, and, and a, lot of the, a lot of the types of activities that help give kids purpose and meaning are not in their schedule, uh, not in their day-to-day lives in the same way that we were. So we have some concerns. We want to try to replace that connection as best we can. Kids have been creative about that, um, but that's, that's kind of where we are where we are. We know there are some risks. We want to get kids help. We know that people are returning to school, which can be a stressor. So we want to check in and we want to reach out. And again, sort of, I might sound like a broken record, but we don't want to wait until things escalate to the point of crisis because no one thinks their best and comes up with the best plan when we're in crisis. So the more we can start to come up with these ways of handling difficult situations before um, those, those types of major stressors hit, the better. Um, so, yeah. So I've got the number for the uh, National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Now, we talked about that when we talked about adults, but um, kids, can they pick up the phone and dial this number, too? Uh, absolutely. You can call the uh, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline um, anywhere in the country. One of the things that kids tend to use um, a little bit more than a, a phone line is the crisis text line. So that is actually texting 741741. You can type in START or listen, or really anything into that 74174 number, and a crisis text line counselor will, will pick that up. Uh, most counties have local crisis line, option, crisis line options as well, um, So, and there's, there's some other peer, peer lines as well, but I, I would say that those are usually those options work, work well for, for kids, um, and they're free, and um, they, can, they can have someone who's trained and, um, and, and willing to talk about these tough topics anytime. Excellent. Dr. John Ackerman, Ph.D., thank you so much for being part of Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687 or email us at lifeincolorado at salemdenver.com. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.